1 Kings chapter 20, as we look at Ahab, the slave of sin, uh, in his novel, Moby Dick, Herman Melville gave the name Ahab to the deranged captain of the whaling vessel, Pequod. Now, Mel- Melville also included a prophet named Elijah. The Ahab in the Bible, he is a very weak man, a weak man who destroyed his family, himself. Why? Because he allowed his evil wife, Jezebel, to turn him into a monster. And then all the Jezebel, Je- the name Jezebel is a name quite familiar with those uh, people today and even in the dictionary. You know, it made it there. A Jezebel in the dictionary is a mean or an evil, shameless woman. If you were to call someone a Jezebel today, that is not a term of endearment. That is not a term of, I like you. To call someone a Jezebel is to place that person at the very lowest level of society. We find this very thing in Revelation chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou hast uh, sufferest, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, repented not. And it goes on. It says, Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. Now, the prophet Elijah accurately describes Ahab in 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 20. He says here in 1 Kings 21, 20, And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And he answered, I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. We're going to look at chapters 20 through 22 here in 1 Kings, and they describe three battles with the Syrians, uh, Aram, and and was also, we find, a land grab that was involving false witnesses against a man, as well as an alleged trial and, an illegal trial, excuse me, uh, and murder. It's quite the thriller, I guess, if you were to think about it from a, a secular standpoint and one writing a book. Now, Ahab was not correctly related with the Lord. He was enslaved to his sins. We understand the wages of sin is death. And Ahab would receive a due wage for his sins, a due dividends, right? He received wages with his dividends. And we're going to look at four events in his varied responses. Number one, 1 Kings chapter 20, uh, verses 1 through 12. 1 Kings chapter 20, verses 1 through 12. And Ben-Hadad, <clears throat> the king of Syria, gathered all his hosts together, and there were thirty and two kings with him, and horses and chariots, and he went up and besieged Samaria and warred against it. And he sent messengers to Ahab, king of Israel, to the city, and said unto him, Thus saith Ben-Hadad, Thy silver and thy gold is mine, thy wives also, and thy children, even the goodliest, are mine. And the king of Israel answered and said, My lord, O king, according to thy saying, I am thine in all that I have. And the messengers came again and said, Thus speaketh Ben-Hadad, saying, Although I have sent unto thee, saying, Thou shalt deliver me thy silver and thy gold and thy wives and thy children, yet I will send my servants unto thee tomorrow about this time. 
And they shall search thine house and the houses of thy servants, and it shall be that whatsoever is pleasant in thine eyes, they shall put it in their hand and take it away. Then the king of Israel called all the elders of the land and said, Mark, I pray you, and see how this man seeketh mischief. For he sent unto me for my wives and for my children, for my silver and for my gold, and I denied him not. And all the elders and all the people said unto him, Hearken not unto him, nor consent. Wherefore he said unto the messengers of Ben-Hadad, Tell my lord the king all that thou didst send for to thy servant at the first I will do. But this thing I may not do. And the messengers departed and brought him word again. And Ben-Hadad sent unto him and said, The gods do so unto me, and more also, if the dust of Samaria shall suffice for handfuls for all the people that follow me. And the king of Israel answered and said, Tell him, let not him that girdeth on his harness boast himself as he that putteth it off. It came to pass when Ben-Hadad heard this message as he was drinking, he and the kings and the pavilions that he said unto his servants, Set yourselves in array, and they set themselves in array against the city. We have in this very uh, circumstance here that Ben-Hadad, they are the Syrian, uh, you know, where King Ahab shows a glimmer of spiritual understanding. Israel's coming out of three years of fin, uh, famine with Ben-Hadad. When this king, king of Syria, decides to attack and take advantage of their plight. They're weak. They're coming out of famine. And there's not a lot of strength in them. King David had defeated these northern nations called Syria uh, in the older translations. and As we find here in the scriptures here, right? And uh, these nations had gradually regained their independence. Well, as Israel weakens and Judah weakens because of sin and idolatry, we find that these nations, as Israel gets weaker, the other nations get stronger. In their strength, they begin to say, Hey, Israel, you afflicted us. We're coming back for revenge. So it's called Syria here, and king of Syria. Another factor in Ben-Hadad's attack was the growing strength of his army, and he wants to assert his strength, domination. He wanted control of trade routes, gets to the money, right? Because Israel was a, was a wonderful place for trading. I mean, that route through Israel was perfect. And he had lost these trade routes north into Assyria, he wanted to be sure that Israel would provide men and weapons in case of an Assyrian uh, invasion. And, and so, you know, uh, the fact is Ben-Hadad is trying to save himself and establish his prominence. The 32 kings who would ally here with Ben-Hadad were the rulers of the northern city-states. Their safety and prosperity depended upon a good deal on the strength of Syria. And Syria was very strong here. Now, we're not told how long that he besieged Samaria. We're going to read a little bit further. Uh, we'll read 13 through 30, a little lengthier passage. But I want to get the whole idea of what is uh, occurring here in this passage of Scripture. Verse 13. And behold, there came a prophet unto Ahab, king of Israel, saying, Thus saith the Lord, hast thou seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will deliver into thine hand this day, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. So here is God helping Ahab, who is wicked. And Ahab said, By whom? And he said, Thus saith the Lord, even by the young men of the princes of the provinces. Then he said, Who shall order the battle? And answer thou. And he, then he numbered the young men of the princes of the provinces, and there were 232. And after them he numbered all the people, even all the children of Israel, being 7,000. 
And they went out at noon, but Ben-Hadad was drinking himself drunk in the pavilions, he and the kings, the thirty-two kings that helped him. And the young men of the princes of the provinces went out first, and Ben-Hadad sent out. And they told him, saying, There are men come out of Samaria. And he said, Whether they be come out for peace, take them alive, or they come out for war, take them alive. But these young men of the princes of the provinces came out of the city and the army which followed them. And they slew every one his man, and the Syrians fled, and Israel pursued them. And Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, escaped on a horse with the horsemen. And the king of Israel went out and smote the horses and chariots and slew the Syrians with a great slaughter. And the prophet came to the king of Israel and said unto him, Go strengthen thyself and mark and see what thou doest. For at the return of the year the king of Syria will come up against thee. And the servants of the king of Syria said unto him, Their gods are gods of the hills, therefore they were stronger than we. But let us fight against them in the plain. And surely we shall be stronger than they do this thing, take the kings away, every man out of his place, and put captains in their room, and number thee an army, like the army that thou hast lost, horse for horse, and chariot for chariot. We will fight against them in the plain, and surely we shall be stronger than they. And he hearkened to their voice and did so. And it came to pass at the return of the year that Ben-Hadad numbered the Syrians and went up to Aphak to fight against Israel. And the children of Israel were numbered and were all present and went against them. And the children of Israel pitched before them like two little flocks of kids, but the Syrians filled the country. And there came a man of God and spake unto the king of Israel and said, Thus saith the Lord, because the Syrians have said, The Lord is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. Therefore will I deliver all this great multitude in thine hand, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. And they pitched one over against the, another, uh, the other the seven days. And so it was that on the seventh day the battle was joined, and the children of Israel slew of the Syrians and hundred thousand footmen in one day. The rest fled to Aphek into the city, and there a wall fell upon twenty and seven thousand of the men that were left. And Ben-Hadad fled and came into the city into an inner chamber. A wall falls upon twenty-seven thousand men. God was not doing this attack for Ahab's righteousness. God was doing this because of the pride of Ben-Hadad. And as we th- see this siege, we're not told necessarily how long it happens, but Ben-Hadad demands Ahab's wealth and family, and Ahab agrees. Obviously, he's not a very strong fatherly figure. He's not a strong leader. If, when, Syria comes up against him and says, I want your wealth and I want your family, your daughters and, and sons. And he says, okay, that sounds good. I mean, he held his family hostage to make sure that Ahab didn't back out of the agreement. Now, Ahab here does not call for a prophet. He doesn't go to the Lord. He doesn't seek the help of the Lord. He quickly capitulates to the agreement. And Ben-Hadad wasn't satisfied with the arrangement, and he wanted more. It was here as he wanted all this extra things as we find in the verse 12 verses. That it would eventually lead to his defeat. He wanted his officers to come and search all the royal buildings and take whatever they wanted. See, the thing is, is when you're dealing with someone who is, has lustfulness, they are never, it's never enough. They, can, they want to search, and they want to search, and they want to search. And they want more and more. Agreeing to this request was much too humiliating for Ahab. 
So he and his advisors refuse to accept this. Ben-Hadad is a very lustful man, just as Ahab is. But for God's glory, God allowed Ahab to be victorious. When he receives Ahab's message, Ben-Hadad was probably drunk and feeling very brave. Well, in this drunken stupor, he makes a decision, let's go to war. Ben-Hadad could have got much of what he wanted without ever sacrificing any of his men. But now, he makes an oath in his drunkenness. Obviously, drunkenness leads to foolish decisions. And he makes a decision to grind Samaria to powder. So he has to live up to his boast, because now his reputation is on the line. You know, to his credit, Ahab replies with a familiar proverb that could be, you know, have applied to him as much as to Ben-Hadad. It's equivalent of don't count your chickens before they hatch. In verses 13 through 21, Ahab opposes Ben-Hadad. And in God's grace, he sends a messenger to say, Ahab, you will be victorious. Here's Ahab being shown the grace and mercy of God for God's glory. Now, Ahab obviously doesn't deserve this deliverance. He was a very weak king. I mean, a king that would give up his wealth and his family when requested by a warring faction. As he did on as he did there on Mount Carmel, God shows himself mighty, just as he did here on the battlefield. He would demonstrate that he is God alone. In 1 Kings 18, uh, verse 36 and 37, 1 Kings 18, 36, came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, the Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Now we commend Ahab for receiving this promise, asking for further instructions. Maybe Jezebel wasn't home at this time, right? And uh, she's not like, you need to do this. You know, she was quite the commander there in the family. Following the example of Solomon, Ahab's father, Omri had divided the kingdom of Israel into a number of political districts, each in charge uh, of a provincial leader, if you would. And the Lord selects these leaders to attack Syria, and Ahab was to lead this small army of 7,000 men. They went out at noon, uh, known that Ben-Hadad and his officers would be eating and drinking here at this time, and they'd be obviously in no condition to fight. When Ben-Hadad's scouts reported that a company of men was approaching their camp, the Syrian king, he wasn't afraid. He told the guard, take them alive. If they come for peace, take them alive. If they come for war, take them alive. So it's basically, right, take prisoners. So this strategy is different than destroying the army. Ahab's men, they catch the Syrian guards and they wipe out the army. Ben-Hadad never could count the dust of the pulverizing of Samaria as he promised. No, he fled in shame and escaped with his life. Ahab believes God's word, he acts upon it, and God gave him a great victory. 
Another anonymous prophet spoke to Ahab and cautioned him to strengthen his force and be prepared for another invasion, as we found here in verses 22 through 30, as we read. Right? It said, Go strengthen thyself and mark and see what thou doest, for at the return of the year the king of Syria will come up against thee. He said he's coming back. Then Hadad listened to his officers explain this great defeat. They were healing their king's wounded pride and to regain his pride and regain his reputation, he must revenge. These officers to Ben-Hadad would explain the defeat wasn't their fault. The defeat was the fault of the terrain. It was just too hard. And the servants of the kings of Syria said to him, Their gods are gods of the hills, therefore they were stronger than we, but let us fight against them in the plain, and surely we shall be stronger than they. They said, Hey, they were in the hills, let us go to the plains, and that's where we can beat them, because we have gods of the hills, the plains, that, that will help us. Right? They, they said, our, They have the gods of the hills, we have the gods of the plains, uh, well, let's fight on a playing ground where our gods can do a work. So, you change the location, it'll make it all better. The enemy is not only challenging God's people here, he is challenging God. I mean, it's like Mount Carmel all over again. Now it's just the rolls. Uh, Ahab is now on the side of the Lord. Jehovah is the Lord of all the earth. God is the God of all the earth. He sends another man of God to see Ahab. There came a man of God and spake unto the king of Israel, verse 28, and said, Thus saith the Lord, because the Syrians have said, the Lord is the God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. Therefore will I deliver all this great multitude in thine hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So God only does this, he says, because he says, Ahab, he's not saying, Ahab, you're a righteous man. He doesn't say, oh, Ahab, I'm so pleased with how you're leading my kingdom. He says, no, Ahab, I'm going to do this because this guy is defying my authority, he's defying my glory, and I will show where he is. And the Lord gives vic Israel victory on the battlefield, and when the enemy flees into the city of Aphek, God sends an earthquake and kills 27,000 soldiers. By the grace of God, Ahab wins a second victory. This is amazing uh, of what God is doing here in regards to the army. Now, Something big happens. One would think that Ahab, in seeing a demonstration of God's magnificent power and glory, would be overwhelmed at how wonderful God is. And he would, he would turn Israel around. He would return from all the idolatry. He would refuse his wives' instructions uh, in, in uh, idolatrous practices. And uh, they would get right with Elijah, and they would move forward. But this is quite contrary to what occurred in the fact that Elijah moved forward. Elijah continued to serve the Lord. But Ahab, here in verse 31, as we read, 1 Kings 20, And his servants said unto him, Behold, now we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Let us, I pray thee, put sackcloth on our loins. And ropes upon our heads, and go out to the king of Israel, peradventure he will save thy life. So they, Ben Hadad flees, his servants say unto him, Behold, now we have heard that the kings of the 
house of Israel are merciful kings. Let us, I pray thee, put sackcloth on our loins and ropes upon our heads and go out to the king of Israel. Peradventure he will save thy life. So Ben-Hadad said, hey, let's go to the king of Israel against the king of Judah and let's get some help. So here in 1 Kings 20, verse 32, so they girded sackcloth on their loins and put ropes on their heads and came to the king of Israel and said, thy servant Ben-Hadad saith, I pray thee, let me live. And he said, is he yet alive? He is my brother. Now the men did diligently observe whether anything would come from him and did hastily catch it. And they said, thy brother Ben-Hadad. Then he said, go ye, bring him. And Ben-Hadad came forth to him. And he caused him to come up into the chariot. And Ben-Hadad said unto him, the cities which my father took from thy father I will restore. And thou shalt make streets for thee in Damascus as my father made in Samaria. Then said Ahab, I will send thee away with this covenant. So he made a covenant with him and sent him away. And a certain man of the sons of the prophet said unto his neighbor, In the word of the Lord, smite me, I pray thee. And the man refused to smite him. Then he said he unto him, Because thou hast not obeyed the voice of the Lord, behold, as soon as thou art departed from me, a lion shall slay thee. And as soon as he was departed from him, a lion found him and slew him. Then he found another man and said, Smite me, I pray thee. And the man smote him. So then in smiting he wounded him. So the prophet departed and waited for the king by the way and disguised himself with ashes upon his face. And as the king passed by, he cried unto the king, and he said, The servant went out in the midst of the battle, and behold, a man turned aside, and brought a man unto me, and said, Keep this man, if by any means he be missing, then shall thy life be for his life, or else thou shalt pay a talent of silver. And as thy servant was busy, and there he was gone, here and there he was gone, and the king of Israel said unto him, So shall thy judgment be, thyself hast decided it. Verse 41, 1 Kings 20. And he hasted and took the ashes away from his face, and the king of Israel discerned him that he was of the prophets, and said to him, Thus saith the Lord, because thou hast let go out of thy hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction, therefore thy life shall go for his life, and thy people for his people. The king of Israel went to his house having displeased, and came to Samaria. King, when, king, when God sent King Saul to the Amalekites, what did he do? He said, Kill everyone. King Agag all of the best animals, everyone. Kill them all, right? Saul disobeys. He loses his kingdom. Ahab here also disobeys. He had won the battle, but he lost the victory. He won two battles. Would you not think if God gives, brings you up, again, I mean, they said just two small flocks, Ahab goes to war, and God, and they said Syria filled the country there. First Kings chapter 20, verses 1 through uh, 30, 30, right? And it said they filled the country and God gave a victory, not once, but twice. But Ahab refuses to comply with the direction of God. And God says, I'm done. What the enemy could not accomplish with their weapons, they accomplish with deception. If Satan cannot succeed as a lion, as a devourer, he comes in as a subtle serpent to deceive. And that's something we need to be careful of as a Christian, that oftentimes we have a fierce battle, and we, in the strength of the Lord, we're able to stand up. But then Satan tries a new tactic and comes in very subtly. And uh, what will transpire here is Ben-Hadad's men were very clever. They knew it was worth the risk to appeal to Ahab's pride. 
God had given the victory, but Ahab would take the credit and claim the spoils of what God had done. These servants pretend to show humble submission, service to Ahab. They, they, they were there as he waited in his chariot. Ahab enjoyed the honor, if you would, of the victory over Ben-Hadad. Never once did he give God the glory. And to hear that Ben-Hadad was his servant, what does it do? It makes his heart glad. So what does Ahab do? Well, sure, I'll spare his life. I'm in charge of Ben-Hadad's life. Later, Haziel would kill Ben-Hadad and become the king in 2 Kings 8. Then Ahadad immediately enters into a treaty with Ahab, and he gives Israel back to Israel what his father had taken. Now, Ahab was in, the, was in the rule, Ahab was in the lead, and he could have just taken those cities back if God had allowed him to. Ahab's pride of taking credit for what belonged to the Lord, and he would lose great riches. He also gave Ahab permission, Ben-Hadad did, to sell Israel's produce and wares amongst his people, which would amount to a wonderful trade agreement, a business agreement. The king of Israel makes such a treaty with the enemy. How can God's people make a treaty with those who hate God? How could Ahab make a treaty with a very man that said, well, he's the God of the hills, but he's not a God of the valleys? or the God of the plains. Ahab needed the support of Syria in the case of the Syrians you know, should decide to move south. The treaty lasts three years. So God tells Ahab, you can't get, you know, you're not going to get away with this, Ahab. God tells one of the prophets, sons of the prophets, he says, I want you to go to Ahab. And I want you to tell him what he's done. As we find in this passage of Scripture, <clears throat> you find chapter 22-1, and they continued three years without war between Syria and Israel. So Syria and Israel had a three-year treaty, right? And this son of the prophet, he goes and he meets up with Ahab there in his chariot. He's going to catch him by surprise to get his attention. He would set up, if you would, kind of an action sermon. He told a fellow student about God's orders and asked him to strike him with a weapon, but the man refused. So he tells this story. You know, we can understand a friend not wanting to injure a friend, and so, but like Ahab, the young prophet was disobeying God, and, and it cost him his life. But, he, you know, he's going to him, he said, hey, strike me, smite me. And Ahab wouldn't. And, uh, you know... <laughs> One was too willing to comply. He's disguised as a wounded soldier, and he's ready to deliver his message here. That's kind of how he's, as he's giving this story. And so here is Ahab approaching what would be, in his mind, an injured soldier. Remember the story that Samuel gave to David about the rich man stealing the only lamb from the poor man? Here, this soldier, this prophet, you know, lost an important, as a prisoner of war and would have had to forfeit his life or pay an enormous uh, fine. And 
And here in this position, as he's talking to the king, the young man says, So shall thy judgment be, thyself hast decided. And he, he hasted and took the ashes away from his face, and the king of Israel discerned him that he was of the prophets. And he said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, because thou hast let go out of thy hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction. Therefore thy life shall go for his life, and thy people for his people. This young man, he says, listen, Ahab, you let my life go, so shall your life go. Ahab, you have just ordered judgment upon yourself. It's kind of like what David said. Well, that man must repay four times because he stole from the poor man. David also executed judgment upon himself. He decided. How did Ahab recognize him? Well, the young man took his ashes away and sackcloth and he reveals himself. Maybe he had seen this prophet before. And it's amazing in the pride of our lives, just as Ahab here reveals, and even, you know, David, as he would hear this from Samuel the prophet, he would repent and ask, seek for forgiveness, Psalm 51. And I believe also Psalm 39. But in this passage here, Ahab never repents. He broke God's laws... And we find a man absorbed with himself. Verse 43 of chapter 20, And the king of Israel went to his house heavy and displeased and came to Syria. Verse 20, chapter 21, verse 1, It came to pass after these things. Uh, actually, let's look at uh, chapter 21, verse 4. Nahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my father's. And he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. Here in his sorrow, he goes back and says, well, I have to have some victory. I want that vineyard, right? Naboth's vineyard. And he breaks God's laws. And we'll talk about this next time. I'm going to conclude it up here for today. But chapter 20 of 1 Kings is two victories and a total loss in victory. Two, Two battles won and one victory one total victory lost. And the victory was lost simply by pride. Pride. Ahab esteemed himself too highly, and great was his fall. It's a very sad day for Ahab and for Israel. Now, I wouldn't want to be that, <laughs> that prophet having to go reveal myself to him as an injured soldier. But but there's a lesson here. That we can see God do great things, but that doesn't mean we're necessarily doing right, as was the case uh, exhibited here, right? I mean, God gave two victories. He he just created a great slaughter of of, of Syria. Syria is defeated. And uh, then he defeats him again. And God's showing again, I'm God of the hills and I'm God of the valleys. I'm God of all. Why, and so quickly, we can refuse to believe that 
God is working and, you know what, that we just need in our hearts to understand everything he does is for his glory and have a right perspective. We'll talk about breaking God's laws next time in the first 16 chapters and moving forward, but Ahab was a slave to sin. He was a slave to himself, a horribly weak man. I mean, his wife ruled that home, and he would even be willing to give up his wealth and his family to Ben-Hadad when requested. But when it came to the rest of Israel, and letting them come into his officers, then the other people stepped up and said, King, we can't do this. Ahab was incredibly weak. He was a man that lived for the moment and lived for his emotions. Let's go to the Lord and ask for his blessing upon this time, and trust it was a blessing and encouragement. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. I thank you for your wonderful grace. Father, I pray that you'd give us a, a great day in your house. I pray that you'd bring many in. I pray, Father, that uh, all that we do, Lord, we would do for your honor and glory, that, Father, we wouldn't do it in pride. But, Father, we'd seek your face and do only what you've called us to do. Father, we wouldn't steal your glory and face the horrible consequences thereof. Lord Jesus, I love you. Thank you. What an amazing Savior you are. Help us be found faithful. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. God bless.